Um, yes, so uh, like I said, it's really uh, good to be with all of you this evening, uh, given all the, uh, even given the circumstances, we can um, really praise God for uh, uh, the situation with Yuan. And um, as I don't know if Solvin also pointed it out this evening, I wasn't, I, I missed a part of the worship, but I, I mean, this morning it struck me when he said, uh, we do not live in fear, we live in hope. And I think that is, uh, that's a real encouragement to all of us. So uh, this evening, um, we're going to read together from um, Second Peter. And we're going to read the first chapter together. Second Peter 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his, from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, <clears throat> I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things." For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain." And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, 
but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We, we will be focusing especially uh, on verse 19, and I'll just read that for us once more. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now I think uh, this passage from the Apostle Peter is a reminder of the role that God's Word ought to play in our lives. The role that the Bible should play in our lives as the very Word of God. Him speaking to us and revealing Himself to us through the pages of, of, of this book that we call the Bible. <clears throat> and I think through this passage then, I mean, this is one of the themes that the Apostle Peter emphasizes here. It is a reminder of these things, of these basic truths that serves as somewhat of a foundation for Christianity and the Bible being God's infallible word to us, um, it ought to have that sort of role, that sort of place in our worship of God, in our knowledge of God, and of course, above all, our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, before I go any further, I do just want to quickly spend some time on the background of this epistle. So, while we're reading these words from the Apostle Peter, we must know that we are reading the words of a man who knows that his death is not far away. It's basically waiting for him around the corner. In verse 14, he, he writes, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And as we sit here today, I think it's in many ways difficult to 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 grasp and understand how Peter managed to leave this epistle of his for the church, to write these words that we just read, uh, and to know these things that he's reminding the church of then becomes a very... We should realize that these things that he's addressing here is what was very close to his heart as he knew his death is waiting for him around the corner. And of course, he's alluding to the Gospel of John, where Jesus reveals to him the manner in which he's going to die. And he also tells him, don't worry about the Apostle John. You have your calling, and, and I've, I, I want you to follow me in, 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 in another way. And then he also uh, reveals something of his own manner in, of, of dying to him. But again, it's difficult to, to think how he managed to say the things that he said in this epistle as he knew this situation. It must have been a, a, a very difficult situation. And yet, here we are 2,000 years later reading this letter and still being encouraged by it, still being reminded of some of these basic truths of Christianity. And we also quickly realize that as the Apostle Peter was facing his own death, he really did not 
worry too much about unimportant things. He reminded his readers of the important stuff of Christianity. And I think, if I'm, if I'm looking at this situation, I'm, I cannot help but thinking that it was the work of the Holy Spirit that, that allowed him to write the things that he wrote and to, uh, to remind the church of the things he's reminding them of was definitely this internal work of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Now, in verse 16 to 18, we read this. And I think with these words, so this is how we're going to start going through this uh, chapter now, but with these words, he's, he's basically establishing the, the, the veracity of the testimony of the apostles. He's establishing... One could say, as we're looking back now, one could say is in some way establishing the truthfulness of the New Testament. Because he's saying in verse 16 to 18, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard his very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, we, this passage can easily then be confused as, as him referring to the baptism of Jesus. However, he's rather referring to Mark 9, where we read about the, the Mount of Glorification, the event where Jesus ascended the Mount of Glorification with uh, only three of his disciples, one of them being Peter. And Peter is basically recalling what happened there. He's establishing his testimony as true, appealing to his sensory faculties as he heard the voice of God from heaven and as he saw the glory of Jesus Christ there on the mountain. And so with this final testimony that he's leaving to the church, the Apostle Peter is in some way here reminding us that his testimony is true. And not just his testimony, but all his fellow apostles' testimonies as well. Because he's, he's talking about them. He's talking about we did not uh, follow cleverly devised myths or legends. And so he's establishing the truthfulness of the New Testament. But interestingly, in verse 19, he's also bringing the Old Testament into this equation when he talks about the prophetic word being more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The prophetic word that's being confirmed in the life, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus is of course a reference to the Old Testament. As especially then some of the prophets, I would say. And so the Apostle Peter is not only establishing to us the New Testament, but also telling us that the prophetic word is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And again, here we are reading these words from the Apostle Peter, being reminded of those things. And 
we can know that while we're reading his testimony, it is true. He really heard the voice. He really saw the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ. And I think that's, that's something that should already make us very excited of what we are busy reading when we are reading God's Word. Now, another challenge that, that was... Uh, uh, very prominent in the early church was, of course, false prophets. And I think that's also why the Apostle Peter is trying to remind, that's the theme of bringing to remembrance to the Christians, to his readers, these basic truths that he's referring them to over against the false myths and legends that's being propagated by the false prophets of that time. And besides that, of course, through his comparison here in verse 19, he's encouraging us to pay attention to God's Word. And I think that's the main theme, at least uh, uh, in verse 19 here. And as we'll see later, I think it can unlock earlier parts of the chapter as well, which we will get to uh, later. But I want to read verse 19 one more time because he's, he's using a very practical comparison to remind us of the central role that the Bible ought to play in our lives. He's writing, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. This is his way of making one this fundamental truth of God's word very practical for us by comparing it to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now you can imagine for a moment if you were in a very dark place, don't know where you're coming from, have no idea in which direction you're going, constantly falling over something, bumping into something, very confused situation, and you're, you're lost. That's what it comes down to. You don't know wh where you're heading. And then imagine further that suddenly there's a bright shining lamp in front of you. Of course, in your situation, you would want to use this lamp. You would want to see if you can actually take this lamp, pick it up, and maybe use it to navigate yourself through this dark place. That's, I think, what most people would want to do. But of course, then another question comes in, well, how do, how do I use this lamp? Can I use it? Is there, maybe there's some finer mechanics here that I first need to know about before I can use this lamp. And so there's many of those questions, but the point is, you have a lamp that can potentially navigate your way through this dark place. Now I think, of course, the broken world in which we are living is this dark place in which we find ourselves. As Christians, we live in a dark world. We are constantly confronted with moral challenges, temptations. We are confronted with difficult decisions. We are confronted with emotional challenges, psychological challenges. So many different challenges that we can, we can probably make a whole list of difficult situations that we all need to face in our daily lives. And it goes even further than that. The dark world, I think, is not just outside of us, but our hearts are also darkened. 
all our hearts are darkened by our own fleshly desires, our own sin. And so I think we all have this kind of problem being lost in a, in a dark place. But the example or this practical comparison that the Apostle Peter uses is then, what's the device that can help us to navigate ourselves through this dark place is God's Word. That's what I think he's trying to say. Pay attention to God's Word as a lamp shining in a dark place. And so, this is the Apostle Peter's way of reminding us of this truth, using God's Word to navigate, to discern, to help us to know truth from falsehood in many of the things that we are faced with. And also, not just truth from falsehood, but also just right from wrong. And I think here's the thing. Peter is not trying to tell us that a Bible study once every now and then is enough. If you look at the statistics of this country, more than 80% of people in South Africa claim to be Christian. Less, sorry, more than half of that percentage think that the attendance of a public Christian event once a month is enough. And the statistics goes on. It goes even um, deeper than, that, than just that. The point is that is not enough. I think the Apostle Peter is trying to tell us if you really want to use the lamp in the dark place, you better make a daily habit of reading God's Word, deepening yourself in it. So once a month, I think it's just not enough. But we'll, of course, revisit many of these themes later as well. What's helpful in the rest of verse 19 is that he's not only telling us pay attention to the Word of God as a lamp shining in a dark place, he's also giving us a guideline as to how long we should do this or until when we should do this. I'm going to read the, um, the verse again. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until the day dawns. Now I, as I've consulted some of the commentaries on this passage, I think it's straightforwardly just referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The day dawns when Jesus Christ returns to this world. And I think it then comes down to this. Each and every opportunity we have to investigate God's Word, to deepen ourselves in it, to read it, to hear God's voice through it, that is an opportunity for us to grow and to use that God's Word as a lamp in this dark world that we are in. It must be a time of your day when you truly become quiet and listen to God's voice with the goal of getting to know Him. And I think if we do pay attention to God's Word in this way, we would also learn how valuable God's Word really is. 
because it is truly valuable. And, and, and I think this is where the Apostle Paul is so helpful as he also addresses this topic every once in a while through his epistles, especially in 2 Timothy 3, from verse 16 to 17, he writes that the Word of God is valuable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. He's also making this immensely practical. It's good for reproof, for teaching, for correction, training in righteousness, and that you may be completely equipped for every good work that you have to uh, perform. So if we study God's Word, deepen ourselves in it, we will also see that it really becomes a way of not only knowing God, but also knowing His world and be able to practically participate in this world that He has created. And so it becomes very practical on a daily level. I mean, the, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 5 verse 11 to 14 talks about the practice that Christians must be involved in. We must exercise. And as we exercise, we will be able to use the truths that we are given in God's Word to discern between right and wrong, good or bad, true or false. And so it becomes a very valuable uh, treasure that we need to uh, cherish in our lives. And, I, and then he ends the chapter with, a, I think, a very rich theme that I think, at least in my circles, are not nearly addressed enough, and that is the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, because he writes in verse 20 to 21, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And as I've mentioned earlier, I think this is exactly what happened in the Apostle Peter's life as he was writing this very epistle. He was carried along by the Holy Spirit, not in a way that he lost his own personality, that he lost his own way of using language or any of, not in that sense, but the Holy Spirit is behind him as the author of this epistle. And of course, we're not it's not as if we're writing Scripture today. The Holy Spirit, I don't think, is doing exactly the same thing to us today, but the Holy Spirit is still the one that is involved in our lives. He's the one that is living in our hearts, giving us, to some extent, the wisdom we need, the discernment we need to study God's Word, to know, to discern the things in God's Word. And I'm not trying to use this and say that we, you know, we don't need anything else to read God's Word. I'm just saying I don't think we should underestimate the role and the work of the Holy Spirit in this endeavor as we deepen ourselves in God's Word. But I think the point up to this, till this far is how important should, must the Word of God not be if the Apostle Peter is here saying in, in his final testimony, pay attention to it, as you would do 
when you see a bright lamp shining in a dark place. Pay, pay attention to it. And then, of course, he reminds us, do this until the day dawns, until the second coming of Jesus. And again, the Apostle Paul, I think, is helpful here as well in First Thess- Thessalonians 5, verse 4 to 5, where he writes exactly in the context of the second coming of Jesus Christ, and he calls the true believers, true Christians, children of light. He says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus. For you are called, you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. We are children of light, which I think if we can think of the Apostle Peter's words would mean that we love to live in the light of God's word. To all of us, myself included, if we're not paying attention to God's Word at this point in our lives, I think we need to reconsider. We need to stop in our tracks and pay attention to God's Word as a bright lamp shining in a dark place. As we read in Psalm 119, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So the centrality of God's Word, and pay attention to it until the day dawns. But it goes further than just that. I'm going to read verse 19 once again. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in in your hearts. Now, of course, the first question I think we need to ask is, who or what is the morning star? to which Peter is here referring. Now, I think we can trace the theme of a star. We can go back to Billiam in Numbers 24. I'm not going to go through, I don't have time to go through the whole story, so I can just encourage you to go and read Numbers 24 once again. And there you read about Billiam, and he's making this declaration that out of the line of Jacob, there will come a star. And then, you find the theme revisited throughout the Bible, but then especially in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus himself tells the Apostle John, I am the bright morning star. Now this is clear enough. The morning star to whom Peter is referring is no one else but the person of Jesus. But the next question must be, when does the morning star arise in our hearts? And how do we know when that actually happens? Because that's what the Apostle Peter is saying. Pay attention to God's Word until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So when, well, when does this happen and how do we know that it has happened? The morning star, who is Jesus Christ, rises in your heart when you have a deep personal trusting relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing that He is the Lord of your life. When you are able to embrace Him in and through faith, know Him, follow Him. And of course, this, again, I would say, is done through the work of the Holy Spirit, because the work of the Holy Spirit is not just to to convict the world of sin, That is His work, definitely, but it's more than just that. It's also 
one could say, to shine the spotlight on the person of Jesus Christ. And I think when he does that, and you see Jesus Christ for who he is, and you see what he has done, then he, as the bright morning star, rises in your heart. And then a life of faith begins, where you follow him, know him, trust him. But not just that, also allow him to form you, to sanctify you, to work in your life, and to change you, because slowly but surely all of us are being formed, sanctified into the image of Jesus Christ himself. And this is where this life of growth comes in. And of course, a big part of this is to read God's word, because it is, we meet the person of Jesus as he is attested to in the Gospels. So it's a, we meet him through reading God's word. And there we meet the person of Jesus and of course, as I've mentioned, then, then it's like this life of growth begins. And we see part of this in, in the first part of the Apostle Peter's epistle from verse 5, where he talks about, that we, uh, about the way we can enrich our faith, the way we can supplement our faith. And I think that's the process of sanctification that starts happening when we have an encounter with, with Jesus and we, through faith, embrace Him as our Lord and Savior, and, and follow Him, and then He will begin to work in us. He will begin to sanctify us. And we read from verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. That's part of the life of faith. And then there must be growth. There must be a process where you are constantly deepened in your knowledge of God, your knowledge of Jesus Christ, your feelings for Jesus Christ. And then he comes to the conclusion in verse 8 to 11, and as I'm going to read these verses... Keep in mind the dark place, which he refers to later in verse 19. If these qualities, the ones that I've just read, uh, read in verse 5 to 7, for if these qualities are yours and, you, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins, blind as if stuck in a dark place without any way to navigate. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." When we appear, pay attention to God's Word as a lamp shining in a dark place, we must do so until the day dawns, but also until the morning star rises in our hearts. What does a star do? It provides light. Where do we need that light? In all the corners of our own dark hearts. We need the light of Jesus Christ to shine in our hearts first and then 
we can also take that light into the world. It is only in the Bible where we can read the Old Testament, we can read the New Testament, meet the person of Jesus, see how he, his life, his ministry, everything fulfills all the prophecies of the Old Testament and comes to the climax of his work on the cross, but also the empty grave. And then as he ascends into heaven, he's still the one praying for me, for you and me right now at this very moment. And that's why we can know, still know him, because as our Lord and Savior, he lives. And I think this should, as I've alluded to earlier, this should make us very excited and about reading God's Word. This should remind us of the centrality that His Word ought to play in our lives. So as I've referred to earlier, once a month is definitely not enough. And I'm not preaching to you guys, I'm preaching to myself as well. We need to really establish a good discipline to immerse ourselves in God's Word daily, join a Bible study group to read His Word together with fellow Christians, be in church on Sundays, and listen to the preaching of His Word. Paul, once again, is helpful in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 to 6, where he writes, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light that shines in our hearts, the bright morning star, is the face of Jesus himself. He is the one who, in, who comes into our hearts and exposes all the dark corners with light. And then he, as I've mentioned, he works in our lives, he sanctifies us. But then he also uses us as his instruments in his kingdom because he makes us part of something bigger than ourselves. And then he gives us a calling and he asks us to participate in his kingdom. I want to conclude. So in this final testament from the Apostle Peter, we are being assured that what he leaves us and all the other apostles has left us is true. We are being assured that the Old Testament is truly fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And we are then also reminded and encouraged to constantly allow God's Word to have its central role in our lives. We must pay attention to God's Word as a bright lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns until the morning star rises in our hearts. And of course, when the day dawns, when the second coming arrives, whenever that is, we can know, we have that hope, which Solvan referred to this morning as well, that then we will one day live in the heavenly city. And in Revelation 21, the heavenly city is described as follows. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the Lamb is, of course, we know, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's.
pray together. Our dear God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can know you. We thank you that we can know that you are here with us. Lord, we confess tonight that we are dependent upon you in everything, that you are the one who sustains us, looks after us. Lord, and on this weekend, we especially just want to bring Johan and Lorraine and, and their children to you. We want to leave them in your presence and ask you to look after them. And Lord, we thank you that as we do this, we can know that there's no better place where we can leave them than your presence. Lord, we ask that you would be with Johan in his recovery. We ask that you would give him strength and courage and that you would greatly bless him in this time. We pray the same for Lorraine, that you would give her strength and we also already thank you for her family and friends and everyone here from Dialogue Community who has already reached out with a helping hand. Lord, we also want to pray for this community. We pray that this community would be characterized by a group of people who pays attention to your word. We pray that you would use them in your kingdom. We pray that you would strengthen them in their faith as they seek to follow Jesus, the morning star who has arisen in their hearts. Lord, we ask forgiveness for sins. We ask that there where we are blind to our own sin, that you would also shine your light upon it. Lord, but we also thank you that you have not left us to ourselves but that you has you have interfered that you have reached down and saved us given us new life new hope and that you have covered all our sins by the blood of your son jesus christ lord we pray that we would keep our eyes fixed upon him the one who is our sanctifier and the one in whom in in whom in whose image we are being sanctified lord it is in his name that we pray this together amen